0: Volume two, chapter seven of Rob Roy. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 7th will it please your worship to accept of my poor service, I beseech that I may feed upon your bread, though it be the brownest, and drink of your drink, though it be of the smallest for i will do your worship as much service for forty shillings as another man shall for three pounds greens to Kwokwe. i remembered the honest bailie's parting charge but did not conceive there was any incivility in adding a kiss to the half-crown with which i remunerated mattie's attendance nor did her "Fie for shame sir express any very deadly resentment of the affront repeated knocking at mrs flighter's gate awakened in due order first one or two stray dogs who began to bark with all their might next two or three night-capped heads which were thrust out of the neighbouring windows to reprehend me for disturbing the solemnity of the sunday night by that untimely noise while i trembled lest the thunders of their wrath might dissolve in showers like that of xantope mrs flyter herself awoke and began in a tone of objugation not unbecoming the philosophical spouse of socrates to scold one or two loiterers in her kitchen for not hastening to the door to prevent a repetition of my noisy summons these worthies were indeed nearly concerned in the fracas which their laziness occasioned being no other than the faithful mr fairservice with his friend mr Hamagore and another person whom i afterwards found to be the town crier who was sitting over a cog of ale as they called it at my expense as my bill afterwards informed me in order to devise the terms and style of a proclamation to be made through the streets the next day in order that the unfortunate young gentleman as they had the impudence to qualify me might be restored to his friends without farther delay it may be supposed that i did not suppress my displeasure at this impertinent interference with my affairs but andrew set up such ejaculations of transport at my arrival as fairly drowned my expressions of resentment his raptures perchance were partly political and the tears of joy which he shed had certainly their source in that noble fountain of emotion, the tankard. However, the tumultuous glee which he felt, or pretended to feel at my return, saved Andrew the broken head which I had twice destined him, first on account of the colloquy he had held with the precentor on my affairs, and, secondly, for the impertinent history he had thought proper to give of me to Mr. Jarvie i however contented myself with slapping the door of my bedroom in his face as he followed me praising heaven for my safe return and mixing his joy with admonitions to me to take care how i walked my own ways in future i then went to bed resolving my first business in the morning should be to discharge this troublesome pedantic self-conceited coxcomb who seemed so much disposed to constitute himself rather a preceptor than a domestic accordingly in the morning i resumed my purpose and calling andrew into my apartment requested to know his charge for guiding and attending me as far as glasgow mr fairservice looked very blank at this demand justly considering it as a presage to approaching dismission Your honor he said after some hesitation when i think when i think speak out you rascal or i'll break your head said i as andrew between the double risk of losing all by asking too much or a part by stating his demand lower than what i might be willing to pay stood gasping in the agony of doubt and calculation out it came with a bolt however at my threat as the kind violence of a blow on the back sometimes delivers the windpipe from an intrusive morsel penny sterling per diem that is be the day your honour would not think unconscionable it is double what is usual and treble what you merit andrew but there's a guinea for you and get about your business the lord forgive us is your honour mad exclaimed andrew "'No, but I think you mean to make me so. "'I give you a third above your demand, "'and you stand staring and expostulating there "'as if I were cheating you. "'Take your money and go about your business.' Good save us, continued Andrew, "'and what can I have offended, your honour? Certainly, a flesh is bought as the flowers of the field, "'but if a bed of chamomile hath value in medicine?' of the surety, the use of under fairer service to your honour is nothing less evident it's as muckle as your life's worth to part wi me upon my honour replied i it is difficult to say whether you are more naive or fool so you intend then to remain with me whether i like it or no troth i was e'en thinking sir," replied andrew dogmatically for if you're in a disney ken when he hae a servant." i can when i hae a good in marster and the deal be in my feed can i leave ye? and there's the brief and the langot besides i hae received nae regular warning to quit my place your place sir said i why you are no hired servant of mine you are merely a guide whose knowledge of the country i availed myself of on my road i am not just a common servant i admit sir remonstrated Mr Fair Service. But your honor Kens a quitted a good place at our hours notice to comply with your honour's solicitations. A man might make honestly, aren't we a clear conscience twenty sterling pounds per annum Well counted Silla Oh the garden at its Borderstone Hall and I was likely to give up ah that for a guinea I trow. I reckon, don't we erona to the terms end at the least not and I account my wage, board, wage, fee, and bounteth, ay to that length ought at the least. Come, come, sir," replied I. "These impudent pretensions won't serve your turn, and if I hear any more of them, I shall convince you that Squire Thorncliffe is not the only one of my name that can use his fingers." While I spoke thus, the whole matter struck me as so ridiculous, that, though really angry, I had some difficulty to forbear laughing at the gravity with which Andrew supported a plea so utterly extravagant. The rascal, aware of the impression he had made on my muscles, was encouraged to perseverance. He judged it safer, however, to take his pretensions a peg lower, in case of overstraining at the same time both his plea and my patience admitting that my honour could part with a faithful servant that had served me and mine by day and night for twenty years in a strange place and at a moment's warning he was really sure he said it was not in my heart nor in no true gentleman's to pit a pure lad like himself that had come forty or fifty or say a hundred miles out of his road purely to bear my own company and i had nae handling but his penny fee to sic a hardship as his comes to. i think it was you will who once told me that to be an obstinate man i am in certain things the most gullible and malleable of mortals the fact is that it is only contradiction which makes me peremptory and when i do not feel myself called on to give battle to any proposition i am always willing to grant it rather than give myself much trouble i knew this fellow to be a greedy tiresome meddling coxcomb still however i must have some one about me in the quality of guide and domestic and i was so much used to andrew's humour that on some occasions it was rather amusing in the state of indecision to which these reflections led me i asked Fair Service if he knew the roads towns etc in the north of scotland to which my father's concerns with the proprietors of highland forests were likely to lead me. I believe if I had asked him the road to the terrestrial paradise, he would have at that moment undertaken to guide me to it, so that I had reason afterwards to think myself fortunate in finding that his actual knowledge did not fall very much short of that which he has suited himself to possess. I fixed the amount of his wages, and reserved to myself the privilege of dismissing him when I chose, on paying him a week in advance. I gave him finally a severe lecture on his conduct of the preceding day, and then dismissed him, rejoicing at heart, though somewhat crestfallen in countenance, to rehearse to his friend the precentor, who was taking his morning draught in the kitchen, the mode in which he had killed up the dark young English squire. Agreeable to appointment, I went next to Bailey Nickel Jarvie's, where a comfortable morning's repast was arranged in the parlour, which served as an apartment of all hours, and almost all work, to that honest gentleman. The bustling and benevolent magistrate had been as good as his word. I found my friend Owen at Liberty, and, conscious of the refreshments and purification of brush and basin, was of course a very different person from owen a prisoner squalid heart-broken and hopeless yet the sense of pecuniary difficulties arising behind before and around him had depressed his spirit and the almost paternal embrace which the good man gave me was embittered by a sigh of the deepest anxiety and when he sate down the heaviness in his eye and manner so different from the quiet composed satisfaction which they usually exhibited indicated that he was employing his arithmetic in mentally numbering up the days the hours the minutes which yet remained as an interval between the dishonour of bills and the downfall of the great commercial establishment of a stone and Tresham. it was left to me therefore to do honour to our landlord's hospitable cheer to his tea, right from China, which he got in a present from some eminent ship's husband at Wapping, to his coffee, from a snug plantation of his own, as he informed us with a wink, called Saltmarket Grove, in the island of Jamaica, to his English toast and ale, his scotch dried salmon, his loch herrings, and even to the double damask tablecloth, wrought by hand, as you may guess, save that of his deceased father, the worthy deacon Jarvie. Having conciliated our good-humoured host by those little attentions which are great to most men, I endeavoured in my turn to gain from him some information which might be useful for my guidance, as well as for the satisfaction of my curiosity. We had not hitherto made the least allusion to the transactions of the preceding night, a circumstance which made my question sound somewhat abrupt, when, without any previous introduction of the subject, I took advantage of a pause when the history of the tablecloth ended, and that of the napkins was about to commence, to inquire, pray, by the bye, Mr. Jarvie, who may this Mr. Robert Campbell be, whom we met with last night? The interrogatory seemed to strike the honest magistrate, to use the vulgar phrase, all of a heap, and, instead of answering, he returned the question, "Here's Mr. Robert Campbell? Um, eh, Here's Mr. Robert Campbell, Quah, he? Yes, said I, I mean, who, and what is he? We, he's, he, he's, um, uh, where did you meet with Mr. Robert Campbell, as ye call him? "'I met him by chance,' I replied, "'some months ago in the north of England.' Oh, "'Then, Mr. Osballistorn,' said the bailie doggedly, ye will ken as muckily boot him as I do.' "'I should suppose not, Mr. Jarvie,' I replied. "'You are his relation, it seems, and his friend.' "'There is some cousin a red between us, doodless,' said the bailey reluctantly but we hae seen little o ick either since rob gae tipped the cattle line a dealing par a fallow he was hardly gaed by why they might hae used him better and they henna made their pluck a barby o't neither there is money ain this day would rather they had never chased poor robin free the Cross o glasgow there is money ain't. I would rather see him again at the tail o three hundred kylos than at the head o thirty war cattle. All this explains nothing to me, Mr. Jarvie, of Mr. Campbell's rank, habits of life, and means of subsistence, I replied. Rank? said Mr. Jarvie. He's a heeland gentleman, nae doot. Better rank need name to be. And for habit, I judge he wears the and habit among the hills, though he has breaks on when he comes to Glasgow. And as for his subsistence, what needs we care about his subsistence, so long as he asks nothing frae us? Ye ken, but I hae no time for clavering about him either now, because we men look into your father's concerns we all speed so saying he put on his spectacles and sat down to examine mr owen's states which the other thought it most prudent to communicate to him without reserve i knew enough of business to be aware that nothing could be more acute and sagacious than the views which mr jarvie entertained with the matters submitted to his examination and to do him justice it was marked by much fairness and even liberality he scratched his ear, indeed, repeatedly, on observing the balance which stood at the debit of us, Baldestown and Tresham, in account with himself personally. "'It may be a dead loss,' he observed, "'and conscience, whatever a ain "'or your Lombard Street goldsmiths may say to it. "'It's a snail ain, in the market a glass go. "'It will be a hervy deficit. "'A staff out of my bigger, I trow. But what then? I trust the house winner keep the crane for all that's come and again yet, and if it does, I'll never bear see so base a mind as they carbids in the gallow gate and I am to lose by ye as ne'er deny I have won by ye money a fair pond stealing say so, an it come to the worst as he the head of the sow to the tail of the grace i did not altogether understand the proverbial arrangement with which mr jarvie consoled himself but i could easily see that he took a kind and friendly interest in the arrangement of my father's affairs suggested several expedients approved several plans proposed by owen and by his countenance and counsel greatly abated the gloom upon the brow of that afflicted delegate of my father's establishment. As I was an idle spectator on this occasion, and perhaps as I showed some inclination more than once to return to the prohibited and apparently the puzzling subject of Mr. Campbell, Mr. Jarvie dismissed me with little formality, with an advice to, gang up the gate to the college!' where i would find some chills could speak greek and latin well at least they got plenty o' zeal for doing deal haight else if they didna do that and where i might read a spell of the worthy mr zachary boyd's translations of the scriptures but the poetry need name to be as he had been told by them that ken'd or so Kenned about sick things but he seasoned this decision with a kind and hospitable invitation to come back and take part of his family chuck, At an precisely, there would be a leg of mutton, and it may be a topside, for they were in season. But above all, it was to return at eight o'clock precisely. It was the hour he and the deacon his father I dined at. They patted aff for naething nor off for nabody End of volume two, chapter seven. Recording by Felicity Campbell, Whanganui, New Zealand.